Um, uh, thank you so much for joining us here at New Song Church. My name is Mike Mason, and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, if you're new here, um, I want to direct your attention to this bulletin connection card. If you want to know more about the church, if you want to get plugged in, you can go ahead and fill this out. Um, you can drop it in the offering box, and one of uh, the leaders will get back to you later this week. So like I mentioned last week, um, our fearless pastor, John Hahn, is on vacation. So by God's grace and strength, I'm filling in for him this weekend, and I filled in last week. So you know what that means, right? A short sermon, right? Oh, we got a short sermon. I'm just playing. I love John. I love to bust his chops, but brother goes for days. So he does. I mean, I love you, John. I love you. He's going to listen to the sermon. So. <laughs> so here at New Song, we're slowly wrapping up our Advent series. We've been thinking deeply and walking through the different titles of Jesus. Some of the titles that we've covered thus far is Jesus, the Wonderful Counselor, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the Mighty God, and Jesus, the Cornerstone is what we looked at last week. The one on whom we build our lives, our solid rock and our foundation. This week, what we're going to be looking at is Jesus, the Redeemer, and what that actually means for our lives. So before I start, I want to say that it's crazy. Isn't it crazy that we're in the year 2020? We're in 2020. That's nuts. Like, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not one to make New Year's resolutions. Um, that's because I never keep them. I think maybe for like the last eight years, I've been saying that I'll lose weight. And I've probably gained weight over the last eight years. Since, I, since I'm not one of these people that like to do New Year's resolutions, I decided to look up some stats. And the numbers were pretty much as I suspected. So studies have shown that about 25% of people actually stay committed to their New Year's resolutions for the first 30 days. And only 8% of people actually accomplish their resolution. Now, if you're someone who likes to make New Year's resolutions, seriously, I praise God for you. And I encourage you to keep going. But maybe for some of us, 2019 was a bad year. It was rough. All around, it was just rough. It was rough physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially. Maybe for others, others of us, it's been a good year. We've been blessed. We had no major problems and everything seemed to go well. Now, whether your year was great, it was mediocre, or it was rough, the new year is always an opportunity to start again, to start, try something different, to try something new. It's also an opportunity to maybe return to things that we've done in the past that have benefited our lives, but we stopped doing. As I was thinking and praying about today's message, I realized that today is a pretty foundational sermon. I don't believe that I'm going to say anything different than what we've, most of us have already heard. And what's scary about that is we as human beings, we have this tendency, right? We have this tendency to tune out, to not listen when we've heard information. And my hope and my prayer for us is that what we hear today, we would use, God would use as a way to stir, maybe re-stir our affections for him and to seek him with a greater resolve this year. So what we'll be looking at today is we'll be looking at Israel 
and how they fell into a cycle of religiosity. Religiosity is just a fancy word for like going through the motions and sin. And yet in the midst of their religiosity and sin, God graces them with a beautiful promise. Graces them with a promise of a redeemer. Someone that will save them and rescue them from this vicious cycle of religiosity and sin. So before we jump into the sermon, I want to give us, I want to give you, just a moment to pray for yourselves. This might be foreign to some of us, but it's really a time to ask God to teach you something. We're about to hear the word of God, and it can fall on certain types of soils. And the good soil, when the word is heard, it produces crops of 160, 30 times fold. So we can just take a moment, ask God to teach us something, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll keep going with the sermon. So I'll give you guys a moment. Father, we're blessed. We're blessed that you allow us to hear your word so freely. We pray that you would grant us the ability to see you, to know you, and to be changed by the power of your word. We ask that you would be exalted in our perceptions so that we would see you rightly and respond to you. Father, grant us understanding, conviction, and direction. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law. Remind us of your love and your grace so that we would love you through listening and obeying you. It's in the mighty, precious, and holy name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Isaiah chapter 59. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. We're going to be, we'll have the text on the screen. So we're going to do something a little different today. What we need to do is we need to overview and highlight certain things in chapter 58 and chapter 59 in order to zero in or focus on the idea of Jesus being our redeemer. So here's the big picture of what we're going to see. We're going to see that Isaiah gives us a picture of despair and darkness in order to give us a picture of true light and true hope. I'll say that again. Isaiah gives us a picture of darkness and despair in order to give us a picture of true light and true hope. So I'm just going to give some bullet points as we walk through chapter 58 and 59. I won't be reading the text. The text is, it might be a little long. And like I mentioned earlier, I don't like to go too long. My name's not John Hahn. I'm just playing, John. I'm just playing. Sorry. Sorry, guys. I, I like to bust his chops. Um, so what I'll do in order to track, uh, help us track and follow a little better, what I'll be doing is I'll break up the sections and kind of give like an overview of what God is talking about or what Isaiah is talking about. So we'll pick it up in chapter 58, verses 1 to 5. What we're going to see here is that God is confronting Israel with their sin. In other words, he calls them out. So what's going on is that they're fasting. These guys are, Israel is fasting. Um, We'll stop right there. Fasting is just a spiritual act of worship to God, which is the discipline of abstaining from food in order to connect with God. And what God is telling them in this text is that even though they're doing this external act of worship, he was telling them that it was in vain. 
They were doing it wrong and they were doing it for nothing. See, internally, they were seeking their own pleasure and doing sinful things while they're doing this act of worship. Another way of putting this is they're going through the motions. Externally doing right things, but their heart, their heart wasn't in the right place. And maybe some of us, like the Israelites, this past year, this past year was a a year of spiritually just going through the motions. Maybe for some of us, it's been years of just going through the motions. No heart behind what we're doing. We go to church. Maybe we read our Bibles. Maybe we pray once in a while or we serve. And maybe God is confronting us with the sin and calling us to turn away. Then in verses 6 to 12, God describes what true fasting is. See, their definition of fasting became corrupt, which is why they were doing it incorrectly. God reminds them of what a true spiritual act of worship looks like. He reminds them that he wants their hearts and not just their actions. There's an internal aspect of worship that cannot be separated from external service. And God reminds them of this. So here's an example. Maybe I, let's say I want to bless my wife. So I decide to leave work early. I go buy some food. I want to bless her with a fancy dinner. So I buy the food, go home, prepare the food, put a candle on the table, um, bust out the good dishes, you know, not the paper plates I like to use. I don't like to wash dishes. So, I mean, I I like to use paper plates. Sorry, I know that's not good for the environment, but I, I am horrible at washing dishes. Anyway, we, she gets home, we sit down for dinner, and she says, Mike, thank you so much. This is, this is beautiful. And my response is, I just did this because this was my duty. How do you think she'll respond to that? I think she'll get up and leave the table. I don't think she'll be too happy with that. But if I tell her that I just want to see her blessed... I love her. I desire to see her happy. That would bless her. See, and the same thing goes with God. He doesn't want our begrudging submission. He doesn't want empty actions. He wants us to experience his love so that we can love him in return. So he's telling Israel, it's not about your actions alone. It's not. I want your heart. Then in verse 13 and 14, God shifts his focus to a different type of spiritual act. It's the spiritual act of honoring the Sabbath. And basically what he says is that if you return to honoring the Sabbath and you turn away from your selfishness, you're going to experience true life and true joy. So now we jump into chapter 59. And in verses 1 to 8, Isaiah paints this picture. It's It's a bad picture. It's a picture of utter depravity. Everything is just bad. Sin is growing like gangrene in society, and Isaiah points it out to them. Now, he mentions certain nouns that I want us to key in on. So I'll read it in the text. He says this. He says, their hands are defiled with blood, their fingers with iniquities, their tongue mutters wickedness, their lips speak lies, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquities, their feet run to evil, and the list goes on and on And what I want us to see here is that sin is affecting every aspect of their lives. And it does the same with us, right? If we fall into sin, 
Or maybe if we blatantly sin, that means we live contrary to God's standards, God's law. It affects everything. It affects what we do, what we say, how we think, where we go. It even affects the people around us. It damages everything. And then in verse 9 to 15, we see this confession. Confession of the remnant of Israel. See, they realize that they are in dire need. That they need help. Then they realize the people around them are in dire need and they confess this to God. They become aware of their need for salvation and are eager to see, see God do something. And it's crazy because God graces them with this perception. And doesn't he do this with us? When everything is bad, everything, we hit rock bottom, we realize we need a savior. Our eyes tend to go up. And this is where we're going to pick it up in the text. We'll pick it up in chapter 59, verse 15b. It says this. The Lord saw it. And it displeased him. That there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there were no one. There was no one to intercede. See, right now, everything is messed up. Sin is running rampant, and every, everyone's just doing their own thing. And then Isaiah realizes this, and they confess their need for a Savior. And the beautiful thing about our God is that he sees. He cares. Even when we don't feel like he sees or he cares. See, our God is not an inactive God. He's always active. And then we're going to see how he responds. Because first he sees, then he responds. It says this in verse 16b. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come to them like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. So God sees the abomination. He sees everything that his people is doing. And says that no one, there's no one stand up. So what does God do? He himself gets involved. See, God brings justice, righteousness, and hope to a world full of injustice, unrighteousness, and hopelessness. Our God is a beautiful and gracious God who responds when no one else will. He'll step up. And even though there's all this sin that's separating them from God, you see that in verse uh, 1 of chapter 59, he gives them a way out by sending help. We see this in verse 20. It says this, And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from their transgressions, declares the Lord. So I want to stop right there. I want to kind of unpack and define what a Redeemer is. Um, a redeemer in the Old Testament, also known as a kinsman redeemer. It's, it's a, a family member. And this family member had a specific role in Israel's family. 
in a nutshell, this man was responsible for making sure justice was served if a family member was murdered. He had to buy back a family member that was enslaved. He had to buy back forfeited land, and he had to carry on the family name um, by marrying a childless widow. So in essence, this kinsman redeemer, he was responsible to safeguard the persons, the property, and posterity of the family. This is what the kinsman redeemer does. But this kinsman redeemer came for a specific group of people. See, the text says this, a redeemer will come to those in Jacob who what? Who turn from their transgressions. See, there was a remnant in Israel. They saw their wickedness and knew that they had to be saved. One commentator said this about the text. The redeemer only works for those who asked for his services and for those that knew they needed to be saved or rescued. So I want to ask us this question. Do you need to be rescued? Do you need to be saved? I'm not just talking about salvation for your souls. I'm talking about being rescued from religiosity, from apathy, from going through the motions, empty, vain worship. Do you need to be saved? Because like the Israelites, we can't save ourselves. We can't. We as weak and finite people, we need a redeemer. Someone to ransom us from our situation. And our kinsman redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who buys us out of slavery. He avenges the wrongs done to us. He protects our inheritance, blesses us, and guards property. It's what our God does. So just a quick testimony. There was, there was a time in my life when I was just like the Israel, Israelites. Actually, I'm kind of still like the Israelites, um, kind of go through these vicious cycles, you know? I mean, that's just the sinful nature. Anyway, there was a, there was a time when I was, I was really doing the right things. Going to church, Sundays, Wednesdays, doing Bible study, tithing, doing all these things. But I was still living completely contrary to how God wanted, wanted me to live. See, my whole goal in life at that time was to be financially stable and to pursue relationships. That's what I wanted. And things got really bad for me. It got really bad. And God used the chaos of the situations in order to wake me up. He allowed my eyes to turn and see that I needed a redeemer. Maybe some of us are in the season, right? And we need to be woken up from our slumber. So now I want to focus on how God redeems us because there's a certain way that God redeems us. So we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Should be on the screen. It says this, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now the text says that he gave his life as a ransom. Ransom. It's the price paid to free the guilty from a sentence. Another way of putting it is it's the sum of money demanded for those, uh, 
in order to release a prisoner. See, we're all prisoners, all of us. We all have this insurmountable debt. We are prisoners to sin, and the cost of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. See, we deserve to die. So Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, paid this debt for us by dying on the cross. He died to pay the ransom for our sins. He had to. There was no other way in order for us to be free. There's no other way. So how do we apply this? Because most of us have, we've heard this, right? It's not new information. Maybe our hearts are not affected by this truth, but it should. First, I'd like to talk to those people who maybe know, know the Lord, who have a relationship with the Lord. And maybe, this, like I mentioned earlier, this, this past year was rough. Been going through the motions. Doing a bunch of rituals. You go to community group. Read the Bible. Come to church. Serve. But there's no real heart behind these actions. And maybe as we begin this new year, it's a, it's a time for us to call out to our kinsman redeemer. Ask him for grace and to tell him that you, we need help to be redeemed from this apathy. Maybe we can take some time to remember and reflect on what it costs God to ransom us from our sins. But then after that, we can begin to take tangible steps, right? Because it doesn't stop there. We can take steps like get alone with God. Spend time in his word and in prayer. Maybe, maybe some of us need to get involved. Get involved with ministry or maybe get involved with each other. God is telling us to get involved with people. And I'll confess that taking these steps are going to be hard. But I encourage us to step out even when things are difficult. So I want to share a story about my son. I have a three-year-old son. Um, love him to death. And I like to take him on his tricycle. I feel like maybe I'm just one of those men that brother should be riding on two-wheel bike already. You know what I mean? Go, boy, go. But um, he's still on his tricycle. He likes to ride on flat surfaces. And we live on like a small incline or decline, depending on how you, you look at the road. So brother loves to go down the hill. He loves to ride on flat surfaces. As soon as we begin to go up a hill, my little man, he'll stop. He'll turn to me and say, Daddy, Daddy's too hard. Daddy, my legs hurt. And then what my little man does is he gets off the bike and he'll start pushing it because he doesn't want to keep going. So I stop and I tell him, Joshua, if you don't try hard, you're not going to get stronger. You're not going to get um, better at riding your bike. I tell him, dude, your muscles won't grow. I literally, I literally tell him, dude, no pain, no gain. Like I tell him that. And for you, you people who work out, you guys know what I mean. I see you guys, I see you stocky people. If there's no pain, you won't grow. Your muscles won't grow. And aren't we guilty of this? It was kind of convicting. <laughs> um, we stop. When things get hard, we stop. We get off the bike. Maybe in order to make it easier, we start pushing it. Or maybe we just stop riding altogether and we just stay right there. See, being disciplined and spending time with God, I'll be honest, sometimes it's hard. Staying consistent and loving people and getting together with people, I've got to be honest, sometimes it's hard. Serving the Lord uh, or the church consistently, 
Sometimes it's hard. So we need to do it through the grace and the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we also need to realize that even when it's difficult, we need to push through. Ask God for mercy to change our hearts. And maybe this is a year where we can learn to push through and get past the pain. Get past our our sin of apathy in order to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now more than just pushing past the pain because it's not about that. I mean that's part of it. But we need to enjoy and grow in our delight for God. And be honest, the way we do that, it's kind of ironic. The way we do that is we spend time with him. Spend quality time with the Lord. See, what we think about is what we care about. What we care about, we're going to chase. I think I said this last week, but if I spend a lot of time doing something, my heart begins to care about that thing. I spend a lot of time washing my car. I do. I care about my cars. I do. (laughs) Why? Because I put effort and time into it. If I like cars, so if I start looking up a certain type of part for this car, my affections will start gravitating towards that. Same thing goes with God. When we spend time with God, quality time with God, our affections begin to grow. Maybe we just need to push past the, the pain, grow in our delight for him. Second way to apply this for those who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord. Maybe some of us have been living in blatant sin. No regard for how we're living. And God is using this as an example. He's using the example of the Israelites to show us how we've been living. And he wants to spur us to call out to our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask him to redeem us from the clutches of sin and death. So whatever it is, whether going through the motions, whether it's salvation for our souls, let's call out to our Redeemer to rescue us from ourselves. I want to close by reading just a couple of passages. It's very familiar passages of of God, of how God displayed his love through Jesus' sacrifice. And it's funny because I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but I heard that the longest distance on earth is getting information from your head to your heart. Probably butchered that, but eh, we'll go with it. Um, And this is what happens when we know something. I'm going to read some very familiar texts. I just invite you, maybe you can close your eyes. Maybe you can ask God to make this real again. Can push past the pain push past the apathy this year. This year would be a different year because we remember what God has done for us. So it should be on the screen. First verse says this. John three sixteen. For God so loved. He so loved the world that he gave gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's go ahead and pray.
Father, I even remember Ephesians. That says, because of your great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our uh, trespasses. Father, we want this truth to rivet our hearts and rivet our souls all over again. We want to remember and know that our sin put you on that cross. That there was a ransom that needed to be paid in order for us to be redeemed. And we praise our God for doing this. We thank you, Lord, for living the perfect life, dying the death that we deserve, and rising from the grave. We praise you. We ask that you would give us strength. Maybe some of us have been living completely contrary to your word. No regard for your standards. No regard for who you are. And we pray that you would, you would draw us to a, a desperation and a dependence upon you. Maybe others of us, God, have been going through the motions. No real desire to see you. No real affections for, for Jesus. As Paul will write to set your hearts and things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God we don't do this just go through the motions can you bless us God can you give us the strength to love you and honor you rightly can you help us return to our first love apart from you we can't do anything that's what you tell us as we worship you allow our affections to be lifted up may our hearts and our minds ascend to our beautiful God thank you thank you for new years thank you for new starts we pray that you would give us the strength to now take tangible steps as we worship you be exalted in our hearts our minds and in this place we pray it's in the mighty and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray Amen.